Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Bless God. Thank you so much. It is an absolute privilege to be here this evening. And uh, it wouldn't be right if I didn't introduce you to my girlfriend, my wife of 32. This year will be 33 years. Sandra, would you mind standing up, sweetheart? And uh, which is just fantastic. It's a joy to be able to travel with your wife, I tell you. It's really, really a blessing. And uh, our son now is coming up to 24 years of age. He's married and they're doing well and they're ministering for the Lord. And, uh, but it's great to be traveling with my wife. We get to be able to be together, pray together, share the word together, and get to come to some incredible churches together. So thank you so much for having us. And to Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie, I know they're on the way back right now from Israel. And uh, we certainly be holding them in prayer, as I know you have. And I know that you're in for a great Sunday as they come back and share some incredible stories with you. And uh, I'm just excited what God's doing. I want to share with you a particular message. And uh, this message is, is my own experience and, and my own walk uh, where I'm at. And I called it Revival. And uh, it's a little bit different, perhaps, to a word of revival that you've heard. But it's an experience that I've had, an experience that I'm having, and it's something I want to share with you. Uh, if you'd open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 18. And uh, while you're turning to it, let me just share that uh, it, the church, uh, at the back of the church, I have uh, some series that I've done this year uh, that I believe could be a blessing to you. I, I have a, a book here, a sermon series uh, called Boaz. This is, we call it the book of Ruth, but we could have called it the book of Boaz as well. And it's really about how two cousins experience the same famine. One leaves, one stays. Elimelech left with his wife and boys. His wife changed his name Naomi, which means pleasant, to name Mara, which means bitter. And it's a book about what it is to be a godly man and take the rule in the midst of famine. There's a whole series in that area there. Uh, this one here is on Elisha. It's about burning the plow and pressing forward into the call that God has for you. This one here is called Bumblebees Can't Fly. You know, seemingly the body mass of a bumblebee is too big for its wing, but nobody told the bumblebee so it flies. Uh, this is an experience that I've had uh, in talking about don't listen to the world's possibilities or improbabilities, but listen to what all things can do in Christ. Amen? And it's a series in there. And, of course, this one here is about going the distance. And this is something that I've taken from many different men, of God, and one of the opening stories in here is about Billy Graham, how there are three particular men, all had the hand of God, and the other two were ranked as the most likely, but it was Billy Graham who came through, and it's talking about the integrity and the desire to come through. And all these series are in the back there, and all the sermons that go with it on USB. I want to read from 2 Kings chapter 18, uh, verse 1. This says, And Hezekiah became king of Judah, and he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Verse 3 says, And he did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places. He shattered the sacred pillars. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made. For the Israelites burned incense to it up to that time. And verse 5 says, And Hezekiah trusted in the God of Israel. That's my favorite part. And Hezekiah trusted in the God of Israel. To me, that's the most powerful part of this, this whole text, is trusting in God. You know, when I read the Word of God, there's four things that I want to do. There's four attitudes I want to have with regards to the Word of God. The first one is this. I want to always be familiar with the Word. I want to read the Word. 
I want to know that word. I, I don't want to go by someone else's experience. I personally want to know that word. The second thing each day is I want to get fresh revelation from the word. I, I want to be able to read that word and from that word have the Holy Spirit speak to me. Uh, there's an old saying we say back home in Australia. You can read the word without the spirit and you dry up. Have you heard that before? You can, re you can have the Holy Spirit and not have the word and you blow up. Or you can read the word with the Holy Spirit and you grow up. I want to grow up. Amen. I don't want to dry up. I don't want to blow up. I want to grow up. So every time I read the word of God, I'm saying, Lord, let me have revelation. Let the spirit just bring to life to me parts of the word that can speak to me through that day. You know, when I have different men in that particular that I, I mentor, and they come to me and they say, you know, Pastor, I, I want to be a man of God. And one of the things that I do, and I learned this from your pastor, Pastor Dwayne, over a decade ago. And I tell them that I want them to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And today is the 25th of February, so I know this man, Stephen, is reading chapter 25. And then I tell him every day he's to text me what verse in that chapter stood out to him. And I could read you from his text messages since I've been here in America that still every day he'll send me an SMS which will tell me what scripture he got something from because it wasn't just reading the word but what revelation, what stood out to you that spoke to your life. The third thing I get from the word is this, always be open to new thought. Always be open to new thought. You know, Jesus himself said in John 3, verse 8, that the Spirit of God is like the wind. It cannot be contained. And, and you know, when I first started our church uh, in our living room, I was 29. I'm 52 right now, going on 53. That's old for some, young for others. For me, it's just right. But I remember when we started our church and our living room was 29, people said, man, you guys are radical, man. You guys are out there, man. You guys are really in touch. But I find that when you turn 50, that they don't quite say that as much as they used to. I think we found that one. And I found that I have to be open to new thoughts. So it's not only that I want to spend time in the Word, and it's not only that I want God to speak to me in revelation in the Word, but I also don't want to be critical of new thought or leading that God has for me because it's not about being relevant. It's about being able to reach a generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we have a 24-year-old son. How many know that a 24-year-old son soon lets you know whether you're relevant or not relevant? Anyone got any idea on that one? I don't know what daughters are like. I don't have one. But I can tell you is that uh, our son lets us know whether we're relevant or not relevant. Sometimes it's encouraging, and sometimes you just take it to the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, it's about being open to what God wants to do. I remember when I got saved, and I remember what a blessing it was when the pastor of the church we were at was open enough to new things. I, I remember that there was a big disruption in the church because they went to what they called a chorus book, and it wasn't the redemptive hymnal book that they used in the morning. And there were people who were upset and say, how dare they not be using the redemption hymn book? And it was a chorus book. Well, I didn't know anything different. And then I remember when they went to what they called the one-eyed monster. It was an overhead projector unit. Can anybody remember the overhead projector units? When we started the church, I got given a box of clear transparencies, a black marking pen, and an overhead projector unit. And they said, all our best, son, go get them. 
That's how it started. But now we have these projection units and, and all these other equipment that goes on. I can't keep up with what's happening. But I don't have to. But I always want to be open and you fought because I remember when Jesus walked upon the earth, it wasn't the lost who had a challenge with his message. It was those who had been established in that church who found it awkward and difficult for the change. And the fourth thing that I want from the Word of God is this. I always want to invite the Holy Spirit to do something. Well, I want the Holy Ghost to do something. Do you? I want the Holy Spirit to do something in my heart. I want the Holy Spirit to do something in my marriage. I want the Holy Spirit to do something in my extended family. I want the Holy Spirit to do something in our church and in our city, in our nation, and in our world. Don't you feel the same way? And I say, Lord, I want to be a conduit. I want you to go through me. I don't want to be a dam that blocks it. I want to go through me, that I need a continual flow of your Holy Ghost. I want to be a part of what you want to do there's a quote I like and I wrote this down it says this a true revival means nothing less than a revolution casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and his love triumph in the heart and in the life I love that I repeat it a true revival means nothing less than a revolution we say in our church if change doesn't come from the top a revolution comes from the bottom Casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and his love triumph in the heart and the life. There was a revolution about to happen in Israel. When Hezekiah became king, there were things that needed to change. The worldliness had taken so much control in the house of the Lord that they needed a king who was open to the spirit and who was open to change. And, and there's four things distinctly that I see in the life of Hezekiah. Uh, first of all is this. He did what was right. Verse 3 said he obeyed. If I'm going to be effective in my personal walk with God, I have to learn to obey his word. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And how many know that the word obey is a tough word? I know I've spoken sometimes to couples who want to get married and they want to go for the vows. And sometimes there's been couples who say, well, let's leave out the word obey. And there's a real issue with it. But you know, God's word is saying, you need to obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll follow what I'm doing and follow my path. It's not a mere feeling or a mere expression. It's an experience. It's a walk. It's a journey. And Hezekiah said this clearly. The second thing I see uh, with Hezekiah is found in verse 4. And it says, and he removed the high places and the sacred pillars. In other words, he removed the worldliness. Our job is not to be like the world. Our job is to influence the world, but not to be like the world. Jesus said in John 6, that unless the Spirit calls them, they cannot be saved. It's not my job to save anybody. That's the Spirit's job. It's my job to proclaim the Word and shine the light. In the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Jesus said that each of us are meant to be a light. A light that's not hidden but placed in the hill that would shine, that they'd see our good works and give glory to God. Not give glory to us, but to give glory to God. Every one of us here are meant to be little lights. Every one of us here are meant to make the difference. 
And the difference is in Jesus Christ. And I love so much where Hezekiah said, I want to reach the world, but not be the world. If we're busy trying to be like the world, then we lose our influence on the world. If we're busy trying to be like the world, then the world won't see anything different in the church to attract them. The fourth thing that I I liked here, or the third thing I should say that I liked here is in verse four, is that it says, and he broke the religiousness snare. He broke the religiousness. He broke the snare. I found this intriguing because what he broke was what God originally had used decades before. It says he broke up the bronze serpent because people began to worship it. You know, when you research that bronze serpent, that's the very thing that God commanded Moses to make in the wilderness when the children of Israel were rebellious. And the Bible says, and the serpents came out and began to bite people, and some 20-odd thousand were killed because of the poisonous snakes. And the people called out to be rescued, and the Lord commanded Moses to make that bronze serpent on the pole and to hold it up, and everybody who looked at it would be healed. Jesus refers to it in John 3, 17. He says, just as the serpent was lifted up and people were healed, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up and be healed. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer. The problem was, though, over the years, the people began to worship that thing rather than God. And that's what happens sometimes. We begin to worship the thing that God used rather than worship God. In Jeremiah 10, it's a great descriptive chapter. I love Jeremiah 10 because Jeremiah is going into this rant, and he's talking about how the people of Judah are in this melon patch and they're worshiping and praying to nothing more than scarecrows in a melon patch. And he was saying how ludicrous and silly it is that anything that man has made that we would put in a higher place than the living God. And that's exactly what God was saying to Hezekiah. He said, this thing that I used to bring healing on the body is now a thing that's being prayed to and worshiped. Destroy it. One thing I found about God is God is fresh in you. He's new manna every day, isn't that right? He's new manna every day. You know what the manna means, don't you, in Hebrew? How many knows what the word manna means in Hebrew? Yes? Yell it out. What does it mean? What is it? Can you imagine every day the children of of Israel get up and they go, whatever it is, it's here, mom. Because that's what the word manna means. What is it in Hebrew? We we try to describe it. It's like coriander, a bit of honey. Nobody knew what it was. It's just what is it? And I found this, that God can use whatever he wants to bring about his message. God used a fish. God used a worm. God used a rooster. God used a donkey. Whew, that means God can use me. That means God can use you. Turn to the person next to you and say, there's hope for you. Tell them, there's hope for you. God's looking for vessels. It's not your ability, it's your availability. It's not your talent, it's your faithfulness. God's looking for a heart that's turned towards him. And here was Hezekiah in the young age. He said, Lord, I will obey you. Lord, I will stop the worldliness in my life around me. Lord, I will get rid of the religious snares. I will do this. And the fourth thing is, and Lord, I will trust you. I will put my trust in you. When I read this passage of scripture, these are the things that stood out to me. I want to tell you an interesting thing that happened to me. 
You may know or may not know uh, that we've been in partnership in this wonderful nation called Papua New Guinea for well, well over 15, 17 years. I don't know how much you know of the land called Papua New Guinea, but if you know Australia at all, it's just a little bit of territory, a land on the very top end. It used to be called Papua and New Guinea. Uh, Papua was the English area territory, and New Guinea belonged to the Germans as a territory. And after World War I, after the Kaiser was defeated, the British took the land or the territories over there of New Guinea. And then they gave it to Australia and said, here, you can have Papua and New Guinea. And Australia called it Papua New Guinea. To the United States, it means a lot to you, especially from World War II. Because when General MacArthur left the Philippines and he made his way to Australia, to Brisbane, where I'm from, we still have an area called MacArthur Chambers. We set up headquarters. Papua New Guinea was the first step of claiming to move on towards the Philippines and going out into the Pacific. In 1975, Australia gave Papua New Guinea independence. And the parting gift that New Guinea asked for was what they called a new parliament house. You'd call it Capitol Hill. At that time, there was 19 provinces. Today, there are 22 provinces. And what they did is they put these huge masks, spirit masks, all around the entrance of their parliament house. And inside, they built this monstrous totem pole. Could you just put the picture up, please? The first one of me with a pastor, Charles Lapa. Now, this first picture here is my friend Charles. Now, Charles and I have been friends for many, many years. And I have the privilege of going across to Papua New Guinea and ministering in his many wonderful churches, a couple hundred churches he has over there. Now, his, their churches over there are very simple. It's not elaborate like us. Can you take the next slide? They just have a roof on concrete. There's no walls. I don't know if you can see that night area there. It's a meeting I was doing over there. But there's no walls. It's just a roof. They'll clam in a couple of thousand. It's just bare metal. When it rains, you hear it. Now, there's only two seasons of Papua New Guinea, the dry season and the wet season. And it's always about 110 degrees, and it's always 100% humidity. It doesn't matter when you go there, it's hot. When you're in the dry season, you just wish it would rain. And when it rains, you wish it would stop because it became a sauna and it's steamy everywhere. It's, it's really rough. Now, Papua New Guinea, just recently, until recently, was recorded as one of the most dangerous places in the world to go. And every time I'd go there, I'd be escorted, have armed escorts. Uh, the hotel we stayed at was razor wire with armed guards walking all the time. It's just incredibly dangerous. In fact, a couple of years ago, they asked me to come and do a rally in what they called their own killing fields, and it was this acreage in this area of ganglands. And my friend had claimed this gangland as his own, and the police would no longer go in there. And they warned you, if you go in there, the police aren't coming. And when you crossed over into that area, all the roads were unsealed, and the buses would be turned over and burned, the police cars were turned over and burned, and even what used to be the police station was burned out. In this particular field, the killing field, he said, I want you to come and do night rallies for five nights. And I said, what for, Charles? He said, for the simple reason that the gang members in this area have raped and killed up to 40 to 50 women the last couple of years in this field. 
They captured him, bring him back. We want to claim it back. So I said, okay, we'll come. So every night when we'd go out there, my wife was with me and, and my son was with me, some others. We actually had the chief of police organize a police escort for us. We had the lights and the sirens and they were taking us into this area, this field. And we'd get up there and we'd do the rallies and we'd preach and, and we'd minister the word of God. Well, after the first night, uh, my friend Charles uh, got a phone call from some influential people in Papua New Guinea. And they said, listen, we heard you got this Aussie, that's what they call Australians, this Aussie over there. He said, yes, my friend Sean. He said, look, we're not coming out there. It's too dangerous. So we will pay and rent the main stadium out here and we'll fill it. We'll pay for everything. Just tell them to come and preach here. He said, well, I'll ask him. So he held the phone off. He said, well, Sean, this is the situation. They said, they're not coming here, but if you go there, they'll pay for it all. That's, that's where everybody goes, and you get these huge crowds, and we'll do all this. And I said, bro, I'm not here for the saved. I'm here to claim this blood field back. Tell them all the best. Try someone else. See, there has to be a point where we say enough. Now, I don't mean any disrespect to the other brothers and sisters. God bless them. But somebody's got to claim back fields that the enemy has taken. It's not me. It's my brothers over there. You go back there now, the roads are sealed, the police cars come in. I said, Charles, what's happened? He said, we've taken a stand politically and everything else. I said, what happened? He said, my cousin got elected prime minister, which to you would mean president. And the house speaker, he also became a Christian, and he's been elected. And he published this book that I have available at the back of the material. And this is the speaker of the house's speech. It's his speech saying we have to repent as a nation. It starts with the leadership, and we got to change things. Now, could you put up that totem pole for me, please? In this booklet, and I've got it in here, do you see that? No, can you just uh, go back to that timber totem pole? Do you have that? There's a big timber one there. I must have given it wrong to you. Do I not have it? It's like a big piece of timber. All right, my fault. There it is there. Now, you see that totem pole? Do you see the size of a person next to it? That's the existing totem pole until July. Now, that totem pole is at the back of the house. And so the speaker of the house sits here, and then you have the opposition and the ruling part on each side, and they debate each other. Does that make sense? And he sits here to keep order. And at the very back is his totem pole. And when he got elected, he looked at that totem pole and he sat up there and he said, I'm going to pull you down in the name of Jesus. Now he, he says this. He said, it spoke back to him. He said, he almost fainted. And it says, I'll get rid of you first like I have the others. You know, since 1975, only one prime minister has ever run full term. He's been thrown out. He said, I'll destroy you. And straight away, there was a big work by the opposition to throw him out and get rid of him. And it was just a big political thing, but the, the Christians prayed, they rallied, and they stood together, and they stopped it from happening. So they said, we're going to get rid of this totem pole. Well, then all the opposition, the others, did a high court challenge, said, no, this is our culture. So they went to court. 
and, and, and the Christians got involved and some Christians were supporting the opposition and, and my friend Charles went and said, we're Christians, we've got to be united. We want God to move. And they put pressure on all the politicians and they're pulling the line. The court case lost. They won it and they're replacing it come July this year. Can you please show the next slide? This is what they're replacing it with. This here, and you can see the size of it, is the new uh, um, pole that they're putting up there. Now, this is an incredible situation. On the very bottom of it here, can you go to the next slide, please? It gives me a close-in. On the very bottom of it there is the Word of God. They said, what we're going to do, first of all, is we're going to have a Bible that's actually floating in this thing in our, in our parliament. Now, here's the funny thing. They said, we want a special Bible. They heard about this American Baptist who had flown in, and he's a very wealthy man, a millionaire, and he collects the most elaborate, limited-numbered Bibles that heard this story. And he, had, he lives in some town, somewhere in America, I don't know where, and in this town, it hadn't done well financially, but he'd actually bought the old bank because in that bank was this big safe, you know, the big walking safes, and he stored all of his precious Bibles in there, and it's just the right humidity and everything else. So they heard that he'd flown in and flown up to the highlands to a, a Baptist mission. So my friend Charles got on a plane and flew up there to meet him. And he introduced himself and they talked. And uh, the gentleman said, uh, what can I do for you? And he told him about what they're doing in the government. And this man turned to him and said, you know, I have this very old Bible. It's one of the oldest Bibles around. I'd like to give it to you to put in this thing. Well, that's exactly what Charles wanted. He didn't know that, but it came in. And they're going to be putting in this particular Bible, the Word of God. The Bible, same as what you have, the Bible in here. The next thing is the Constitution. And they've written down here in the speech that the Constitution is subject to the Word of God. That there will be no other God but the God who has Jesus Christ as a Savior and Lord. Nobody else. It doesn't just say God, it says Jesus. How I many know it's very easy just to say God but only through Jesus Christ. Then it says here, then it'll be the people. Okay? And then it goes across here and, and on top there. And then it says it's going to be a covenant. And the covenant is what the governor general, and that's the, because we're in the commonwealth, the queen's representative says there's a covenant that they're making with the people to be committed to God and his word as a nation. And then on the very top pillar, could you go back to the previous one, please? On all that pillar, all the way up the top, you can see how big a person is. There's 840 to 900 different languages and dialects in Papua New Guinea. It's a nation now of coming up to 8 million people. And every language will be written on that pole talking about unity and standing in God. And then there'll be the flame, which is the light of God and his word. They've won the high court. They said, we want revival. God's been doing some incredible things. Just a move of the Holy Ghost. The time's getting away from me, and I just want to finish off. They said, one of the things we want to do is also want to recognize and honor Israel. We want to acknowledge that Israel has a purpose in the body of Christ, and we want to bless Israel. And they said, the reason we want to do that is because we want the blessing to come back on us. They said, we're a nation that needs help. Now, my friend Charles has this property called Eight Miles. It was like eight miles of land, just middle of nowhere. And they made contact with Israel saying, we want to honor you as a nation. We want to have an embassy in Israel. And then the um, 
political identities there said, well, where do you want to have this? They said, we want to be the first nation to recognize Jerusalem as the capital. We want to be the first nation, and there's another nation, the first nation to have our embassy in Jerusalem. We don't care what the other nations say. And so that's established this year. Isn't that exciting? So much so that the prime minister of Israel has said, I'm going to come to Israel. I'm going to come to Papua New Guinea for this dedication. And they said to him, we want you to come, but we want you to know we honor Yahweh, but we also honor Jesus. And you need to know that we'll be talking about Jesus. He said, okay. Then he gets more exciting. 95% of all Papua New Guinea's produce is imported. Israel said, do you have any land? They said, of course we got land. And they sent representatives and they talked to my friend Charles. I said, you have land? He said, I've got eight miles of land, just nothing. He said, if you let us use your land, we'll come into partnership with you and we'll bring agriculture in. He said, we have turned desert into prime real estate. We'll come and partner with you. We'll bring our seeds. Could you put the next slide on? This is what Israel has now done in partnership in New Guinea. In two years, from being 95% imported fruit and vegetables, they're now 90% their own. Can you do the next slide, please? This is all growing in, in, in New Guinea under the, the greenhouse covers, all done by Israel, all of Israel's seeds. Can you go to the next slide? This is, this is how it's packaged in, in the nation now. Israel, I-S-R-P-N-G. This is their fresh lettuce. Can you go to the next one, please? This is here, the tomatoes and the seeds. Everything comes over from Israel, planted and grown there. Can you go to the next one, please? Uh, this is the cucumbers and so forth. Can you go to the next one, please? This is all the, cap, we call it capsicums. You call them bell peppers and all these areas here. There's an abundance. It only just got released there last year onto the market. All of a sudden, this nation that's only two generations removed from cannibalism and headhunters, two generations, my friend Charles's father, grandfather, were headhunters and cannibals of the Highlands. All this happened because the pastors and the people said, we want to be open to change. And we want to make sure that we put people in government who know the name of Jesus. And we want to make sure that it's not simply in God we trust, but rather it's God we serve. Could you bow your heads right now? When I was in Papua New Guinea, I was just over there the first week of December, ministering again, and this is where I saw this firsthand. When I was over there, I began to weep. I began to weep because I'm saying, God, I'm just so jealous. I want it for Australia. I've run the campaigns for our federal member that we put in from our church, a state member that we put into the government, and our local mayor we put into government. And I love every one of these people, but every one of them forgot about their commitment to God when they came into the political power. And it broke my heart. And I thought, God, where is that tenacity? Where is that cry? Where is that hunger that says, I want the Holy Spirit? You know, church, I need the Holy Ghost. 
I need him every single day. He's a person. When I wake up in the early morning hours, and I do mean early morning hours, I literally spend time just calling out in the Spirit and saying, God, we need you. We need it. In my heart, there is burning such a desire for the touch. And I realize that what God requires of me is really simple, to obey his word. It requires of me to be open to his Holy Spirit. It requires of me to rid myself of worldliness, to rid myself of religiousness, to put my trust in Him. I've been saying to my church this last year, we need a fresh touch of God. And it's got to be more than religion. It's got to be more than anything else. It's got to be just Jesus. We have to learn to not be ashamed or embarrassed of who we are or what we believe. Because there are other forces at work who are trying to claim this great nation for themselves. There are other forces at work who are trying to claim our nation for themselves. And it's not flesh and blood we're fighting, friends. It's spiritual. The problem is that we're trying to battle spiritual things in a physical way. And we have to learn to deal with the spiritual things in the spiritual way. Lord, my prayer tonight is real simple. Touch us. We need your touch, Lord Jesus. We need more than a religion. We need more, Lord, than a word. We need the touch of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for that nation of Papua New Guinea that 90% of people wouldn't even know existed what you're doing there. I know this, Lord, that when you did that great move in the 60s and the 70s, you moved through a group of people who many fought God could not move through and you did. And that's why I know, Lord, that you will move many times in a nation or in a people that many of us may not know. But I want to be open, almighty God, to your Holy Spirit. I want to be thirsty. I want to be hungry to not only receive but to give out. Let me ask this question. If you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, let's just say this prayer together. Say this prayer. Say, Jesus, right now, I make it known I need to be saved. With my mouth, I now confess. With my heart, I now believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and by His grace, I am saved. If you prayed that prayer with me for the first time, or if you prayed that prayer with me to rededicate your life to the Lord, or to make that public confession, Would you just bless me? Would you just stand to your feet right now so I can see you and I can bless you? If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or if you prayed that prayer to rededicate your life to the Lord, would you just stand up right now so I can see you? Because I want to speak favor over you. I want to speak blessings over you. Would you allow me to do that right now? Just stand up. Would you? Would you do that tonight? Would you have that boldness? Would you have that courage and say, Sean, I want it known today that I'm following Jesus. I'm coming back to him. I'm making him my Savior and Lord. Would you stand right now? Stand. Thank you, sir. Is there others? Would you stand? 
I know there are others. It's up to you. The Spirit of God is calling. Like I said in John 6, 44, unless the Spirit of God calls you, you can't be saved. I can't save anybody. All I can do is shine my light. Is there somebody else who will stand with my brother and say, yes, Sean, I want to be saved. I want to know God. Thank you. Is there somebody else? Is someone over there? Is there? Would you stand so I could just in the area there? Anybody else? Would you stand? Would you stand so I can be in agreement with you? I want to bless you. I want to bless you. You got your hand up at the back. Is that right there? I see your hand. Is someone going to come over to you? Is someone come to my brother over there? Can we just bless them in the name of Jesus? Is there any counselors or leaders who can go and stand beside each one of these? I've got the brother here. There's a brother standing over there. My, I think it's my sister put her hand up over there. Is there anybody else? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I bless them. That's it. Just put your hand on their shoulder. Don't be scared to put your hand on. Just touch them. We bless them. Make this a real moment, a real moment, Lord, of knowing that they know, that they know, that they know, that they know that they're saved by your grace. And as I go, let me ask this. Are you hungry for the Holy Spirit? If you are, would you stand up here right now? If you say, Sean, I'm hungry for the Holy Spirit. I need that fresh touch. I want you to move in my life and through me. Would you stand with me right now as I close? If you feel that hunger like I feel, would you stand? We'd be in agreement. Father, I stand in agreement with brothers and sisters. We realize, Lord, that we don't have the answer in ourselves. We know that religion doesn't have the answer. We know that Jesus is the way. I know, Lord, that you've already gone before us and prepared a way. Lord, speak to our hearts. Even tonight, I pray that a little seed will be planted. Lord, just see the size of a mustard seed can be planted. And if we would water it, if we'd nurture it, God, I just know there's an explosion that's about to happen. Lord, I just bless right now. Are you ready? I want you to receive this. I bless my brothers and sisters. I bless them in your Holy Spirit. I bless them in your anointing. I bless them in your saving knowledge. In the holy name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.